Welcome to Growth Amplifiers. I am Kenny Harper. Growth Amplifiers showcases ideas from the top business owners and entrepreneurs to inspire and empower you thrive in your life, business, and achieve a higher purpose. I'll be sharing actionable insights you can apply towards your business in each session. Growth Amplifiers is dedicated to you, your success, and fulfillment. Get ready to amplify. Fires, we've got a great session for you here today. Uh, today, I'm with Rush Krajak, and he is a recovering patent attorney who believes that IP can be used as a financial instrument. He is the author of Investing in Patents and one of IAM's top 300 patent strategists. And then as the CEO of Blue Iron, he finances the cost of patent portfolios, issues IP portfolios for enforcement and defense, and provides loans using IP as collateral. He is a practicing patent attorney, and as well as a wholesale and retail insurance broker, specializing in intellectual property insurance. Welcome to the show, Russ. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Well, excellent. Well, um, you know, we were talking before the show went live here, and we were talking about those serial entrepreneurs that are, you know, have a lot of great ideas. They're, they have that intellectual property. Um, can you tell me a little bit about some of the mistakes that these business owners make when they're getting their patents? Um, you know, I think the biggest mistake people make is not understanding the inherent conflict of interest between a patent attorney and a client. The, the client wants protection, they want a patent, and the patent attorney is, is a workman. You know, it's, he's a plumber, a painter, you know, somebody's going to paint your house or something. You're asking them to do a job for you. And their interest is, you know, their primary interest is to their law firm. They need to make money. And so if you go to a patent attorney and you say, hey, I got this perpetual motion machine. Should I get a patent? The patent attorney has a financial interest to tell you, yes, you should. And it's up to you as the inventor or the entrepreneur to say, is that patent going to help me? Is this patent going to be well done? And, and there's this disconnect between what the entrepreneur wants. The entrepreneur wants protection. The entrepreneur wants an asset. They want something is going to help them in the future. But the patent attorney doesn't sell that. They sell patents. And you need to know if that patent is going to be valuable for you. And so a lot of entrepreneurs just abdicate their responsibility. They say, hey, I have a patent attorney, therefore I'm protected. I have a patent, therefore I'm protected. And they call me a, few, a couple of years down the road and say, hey, I have this patent, can I borrow against it? And I'm looking at it and it just breaks my heart to tell this person, no, your patent is, it's worthless from a financial standpoint, but you were the one who set, told the patent attorney to build it, to make it, you approved all the stuff and you're stuck with an asset that you spent a lot of money, a lot of dreams and hopes are in it, but ultimately it's worthless. And so kind of my mission as the recovering patent attorneys to talk about how, how you can be a uh, more judicious 
consumer of these services and how to know how to navigate the the system a little better i can see that because you know as an entrepreneur you know the probably the last thing you're thinking about is how do i set up a patent for this idea that i have uh for for those serial entrepreneurs that are coming up with new ideas you know seamlessly you know on a day-to-day -day basis is there a litmus test that you talk to them about of which ideas that they should put that patent on versus, you know, maybe this is just a, a green idea that, you know, it's not time yet to put the, the efforts into that patent. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the litmus test is, does anybody care? Does anybody buy this product? The litmus test is, can you sell the product? If you can sell the product, the patent has value. If you can't sell the product, the patent does not yet have value. The patent had, you know, a lot of, oh, I have this great idea, but I haven't built anything. I haven't sold it. I haven't worked through the engineering details. I haven't worked through the marketing, you know, details. You know, do people really want this thing? And does that patent have value? The answer is no. It doesn't have real value. It has speculative value. I mean, we could say, oh, you know, that would be cool. It'd be on, on every single cell phone. It, you know, 7 billion people all using it times a dollar. Yes, it's worth $7 billion, right? It, but it, it is not yet. It does not yet have value because nobody sold it. My, I really encourage people to do the marketing first. Figure out if there's a market there. Figure out if somebody really wants it and what they're willing to pay for it. Um, my favorite example of that is is what Scott, uh, Tim Ferriss did way back when in the four hour work week. He came up with an idea, and instead of lining up manufacturers in China and you know filling a container and shipping it over and then and trying to sell it, he didn't do any of that nonsense. He did a landing page, ran some ads on it, got some market proof that validated the idea. Once you know that, oh, people really want this, all of a sudden, then it's worth putting money into the, into the patent, to the patent, to the supply chain, to everything else. And I really encourage entrepreneurs to do that first, figure out the marketing, figure out if there's a real idea here, then do the IP if it makes sense. That makes sense. That's something that we talk to, you know, our clients a lot with in terms of, you know, everyone wants to think that if you build it, they will come. But a lot of times it's better to try and sell it first. And then now you have some of that, that funds, you have the traction. Now you can go ahead and start to build it. Uh, for instance, sometimes we have clients that want to do uh, a, a online training or a info product, and they want to spend all their time developing that product out without, as you said, finding out if that market truly sees the value in it and that it, it gets the response that they're looking for. Yeah. And the response is the value of the patent. If you could, if you don't get any response, it's, it's, you know, it's just an idea that, that never made it. Um, one of my, f I'll promote something. I have no relationship to this guy, but the best book I've ever seen is a book called the mom test. And it's about how to ask your mom and have her tell you the truth. You know, you come home with, with that, 
that piece of artwork and you ask your mom, what do you think? Oh, and she thinks, oh, this is wonderful. Tapes it up on the refrigerator, right? It, how do you ask her about your new idea and get the truth? And it's really about uncovering what the problem that you're trying to solve is and, and not, not show them the solution. If there's kind of a saying, if you have to show somebody your idea when you're doing your market research, you're doing it all wrong. And so there's a very good case for an entrepreneur to go out and research the problem area to find out what people are, you know, how, how big is this problem? What are they doing to get around it? How much are they paying to, you know, to solve the problem today? And you never have to tell them the idea. So what that means is that you can go out and do that research before you get a patent. And, you know, at some point, as you become more enthusiastic or comfortable with the idea and going to invest your life savings into it, then you might want to think about getting, an, getting a patent. Right. And we say that a lot, Russ, with, um, you know, you see people talk about their pains, their challenges, and those are always great indicators for an opportunity for a product or service to overcome that. And if you're in a certain industry, you can almost go through the reviews and see what are people complaining about? What's a common issue that's popping up again and again? And is there a way that you can leverage your technology, your, your knowledge to overcome those challenges? Yeah, exactly. Do the homework first and then, you know, and then figure out if this is a good business model. Um, the, the other problem you have is that the good patents are always yet to come. The grand idea of, oh, well, uh, you know, I have this grand solution to some problem, you know, some new kitchen appliance, it's some new app, it's some, whatever it is. The real patents are on the thing that enables that solution. It's usually not, you know, the entrepreneur is in love with their vision, but it's usually the, the, those, the picks and shovels, if you will, that, that make the, make the problem, you know, to, that actually solve the problem. Those are where the big, the big patents are. And it's usually right underneath the, their face and they don't recognize it at the time. Um, and, you know, kind of, I'll tell you my favorite story for that is that before iPhone, every single cell phone, I mean, every single cell phone had a green button and a red button. The old bag phones, the car phones, the nasty flip phones, those big, huge brick phones, they all had a green button and red button, green button for the, for our younger viewers, the green button answered the call and the red button ended the call. <clears throat> and when iPhone came out, they were the first cell phone that did not have buttons on it. And it was supposed to be as buttonless as possible to, you know, force you to use the, the, um, the force you to use the touchscreen. And so Apple came up with this idea called slide to unlock when the phone rings, the, you know, the phone vibrates, it, it, you know, alerts you. And how do you 
answer the call? What's the first problem that a competitor would have to solve if they competed with iPhone? The first problem is how do I answer a call? And that, that patent, the slide to unlock patent is the patent that they use, that Apple used to sue Samsung. And if you think about it, slide to unlock defines the product. It defines the whole smartphone experience. The whole smartphone device is essentially slide to unlock. Now, could Apple, I'm sure Apple did get a patent on touchscreen phone with icons and all the, you know, whatever. But the thing, the problem that nobody else ever saw before was how do I answer a phone when I have no buttons and just a touchscreen? And that solution turned out to, you know, be a patent worth literally billions controls in a huge marketplace. And those kinds of things happen as you start working towards that vision. That's when the good patents come out. That's when the good IP comes out is not, oh, I have this grand vision of, you know, robot that folds my clothes or whatever it is. It's that, well, what's that one thing that everybody else is going to have to solve when they get there? And if I can protect that, I can, I can, you know, protect the entire product. That's a great point. And I was having a conversation last week about um, some different uh, project management tools. And we were talking about the, the way that some of these project management tools came about. It was that a company was actually a web design company and they had all the challenges around managing their project. So they had this internal system where they were able to manage that project. And I think it may have been Basecamp. And what they found out that was that the unique thing that they had wasn't their building of websites. It was the process that they were using internally. And someone had that grand idea of, hey, this is a better idea than our, that our website is. So sometimes those golden nuggets come out of something totally unintended, but you need someone that has that vision to be able to see, hey, there's a need in this marketplace that we can really leverage here. Yeah, and sometimes it's one of the worst problems with with entrepreneurs is they think everything they think everybody in the world thinks like them. Oh yeah, you know everybody in the world would want this this solution when nobody knows about it, and uh, or you know it's just obvious to them. Of course they do it that way, but you know what I talk to when I talk to entrepreneurs, I think about you know I ask them what when you built out that system, what parts of it did you have to spend a lot of time or energy or engineering to build, to make that system work internally? And if you had to do a lot of push-ups to build something where, where nothing existed before, that's a good indicator that that little element, that feature or whatever of that, that CRM system or that management system that you were just describing it's probably a good indicator that other people might need, you know, might need that too. That's a great point. Uh, Russ, I want to change gears a little bit. Our, you know, our audience and our mission is about helping businesses really be more profitable, be more efficient. And one of the things I, I noticed about some of the services that you provide is being able to help businesses use patents as a financial tool for their business. Can you tell me a little bit about how that works? 
So there's um, there's kind of three areas for it. One is um, we will finance the cost of patents for companies and typically not startup companies. We want somebody who's been down the road a little bit. And if you're showing some commercial traction, we will invest alongside you and build out a patent portfolio um, and pay for all that. And, it, and it's essentially a leaseback model. So you, instead of using that cash for, you know, upfront to pay for your patent attorneys, you can use it for marketing, R&D, and it essentially gives you a longer runway. But when we do that, we apply these principles of looking at the patents and make sure they have actual value. And so we will only invest where we think the patents are going to have value. So that's kind of the first thing. The second thing we do is we sell patent insurance. And this is a not well-known <laughs> uh, product, but you can insure your patents in two directions. One is you insure your business so that you can enforce your patents against an infringer. You come up with a great idea and you start bringing a product to market and you find out that Apple, Google, Intel, Microsoft, HP, whoever is infringing, all of a sudden, well, how am I going to enforce that? Well, you can insure that and get yourself a million, $5 million of essentially prepaid legal fees to go assert your patents. The other, it happens in the other direction too. We can ensure inbound litigation. So you build a product, you start getting a little bit of traction and all of a sudden a patent troll or a competitor starts, you know, sending you nasty letters about, oh, you're infringing our patent, da, da, da. And, you know, how are you going to handle that? It takes a lot of capital to do that. And those are insurable events. The third thing we can do is if you have a little bit of traction, say, you know, a million to $5 million or more of revenue, and you have a sizable patent portfolio, then we can do rather substantial loans using IP as collateral. So instead of raising money all over, you know, going to, going to the VCs and selling your soul that way, you can, you can, you can get um, 20 to, you know, even a hundred million dollar loans using patents as collateral. As, as long as your business model supports it, there's people out there that'll do those lend those, those kind of loans. And that's an insurance product. That's uh, essentially an insurance wrapper for a loan. Nice. So that gives a lot of good op options, you know, for businesses uh, so that they're not strapped for their cash flow so that they can put that money to better use as they're growing that business. Yeah, we see a lot of companies who are uh, raising money, you know, the, uh, especially if you've raised some money, show some traction, have a good story, have have some market traction, which, you know, some kind of revenue, um, then we can really help, help them. Um, at the, at the beginning stages where you just have an idea, it, there's, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs sadly kind of run into this thing of, 
they they do the they do this pitch where I'm Mr. Creative, I'm you know Mrs. You know idea, but then you say, well, have you you know how do you get your product to market? Well, I don't. I'm going to need this big pile of money, <laughs> and you know this is where the really creative people shine, where you can build a product in your basement or your garage or go go use a 3d printing machine in your at your local library or you know by hook or by crook you can innovate the business part of it test your assumptions validate the business get a little bit of sales that's where the creativity is okay the, i'd challenge anybody who says i have this great idea but i can't do anything because somebody hasn't given me five million dollars I don't think you're that creative. Okay. The creative one can go out and, and sell, you know, where, you know, wear one of those sandwich boards on the side of the street and sell product, you know, <laughs> that's creative. Um, yeah, if you're <laughs> enough, you're going to find a way to make it work. You're going to exhaust all your options. And if you believe enough in the product or the, or the idea that you have, you're going to be talking about it so much that it's going to be almost impossible not to stumble across someone that wants to support and help you and get it where it needs to be. Yeah. It, that's just believing in yourself, I think more than anything. Um, and b being, believing in yourself and in, in the sense that you want to, that you're willing to take a risk and go out there and stand on the side of the road with card, you know, the, cardboard sign saying, you know, I'm selling, you know, here's my product, you know, $5 a piece or whatever, you know, it's, it's embarrassing to go out there and do that. You, you're likely to get shot down. You're, you know, it's, it's a tough road, but the people who, uh, who understand that they are learning constantly, those are the ones that will, you know, try selling it, uh, selling it here they'll try selling it there and they'll they'll refine and learn as they go and those kind of people will always succeed it'll take them a while but because they're refining their craft you know that they're going to be successful at some point it's just a matter of when right and earlier you mentioned response and that's one of the things that we talk a lot about to clients and just uh, people in general is a lot of times um, business owners or, or business professionals, they want to interact solely online and not be able to have that interaction either on the phone or directly. But that's where you get into those conversations where you can get those clues, those insights that can really help you hone in on that product or service that you're creating to really ensure that you're communicating in a way that's resonating with that audience and that you're using the same language and that you're getting all the specifics tied into it that are needed to make it successful. And I think too many people overlook that step. How do you think, well, uh, how do you suggest people start those conversations? What's the best way to get it going? I think it's by asking a lot of questions. So a lot of times people have a tendency to want to do all the talking rather than asking more questions and the better questions that you can ask, the better answers that you're going to receive. And the more that you can start to stack those upon one another, you can start to, again, communicate in a language where they start to uh, 
it breaks down their their barriers. They're not as afraid. They're uh, don't think that you're trying to sell them something. They feel like you're really in tune with what they're thinking. So it starts to uh, open up the conversation to a deeper level, and then you can really get some good insights. Interesting. Do you find it, the, the you know you mentioned the, you know through COVID and you know the the one on one interactions it's really hard to have when you, you can't walk up to somebody and just say hi and start talking as you know, at a networking meeting, at a conference, at, at a trade show or whatever, how are you seeing people do that outside of, you know, the conventional networking kind of, you know, face-to-face interactions? Is it happening? I think it is. I think it's, um, you have to be more genuine, obviously. And, you know, it's less quantity and more quality. So the more homework you can do on the front end, people will respond to that and they respect it that you actually put in some effort. I think it's really easy to see when someone's just, um, you know, throwing something out there and it's generic versus someone that genuinely cares, has insights, they've studied, they understand who you are. And, um, you know, just little things can make a big difference, you know, knowing um, their interest or something that is special to them can help open a door and be able to um, build a genuine relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen that, you know, especially over COVID, I do a ton of, um, a ton of Zoom calls, you know, like I, I imagine a lot of people do, but there, you know, when you can have that call and see somebody face to face, see their, you know, see their expression and, and so on, it it's different from, it's different from face to face for sure. But I, you know, I do get to connect with people online to, to the degree that you can. Um, I talk to a lot of people, you know, I, for better, for worse, allow people to schedule half an hour right off my website and chat with them about whatever they want to talk about. And, um, it's, uh, I tell you, it's amazing to hear people's stories, why they did something, what was behind it. Um, and when somebody does that, uh, I'll tell you the, I'm virtually wrong every time, <laughs> you know, when I see somebody on the schedule who just booked a time and I look, kind of look at, at their background, look at, at their company, look at their patents typically. And, you know, I'm like, uh, and then I talk to them and they have an amazing story. They have an amazing company that, that, you know, I didn't see when I did my research. Um, and it's always exciting to see that, you know, to, to hear their stories, hear the, you know, why they got into, why they went down this path instead of that one. They're, they're fascinating. Um, and I, you know, I just, my only regret is that I, you know, only have so much time in the day, <laughs> you know, you can't talk to everybody. Right. And it's, uh, that's an important lesson too, for those businesses is that they have those stories that they, they're not articulating, they're not communicating those. And if they did, you know, they can make better connections faster and maybe get more visibility. And I think it's human nature to kind of hold things in. But the thing is, the more vulnerable you are, the more you share, the more people are endeared to you and the more that they connect with you. Uh, so it, it's important to really, when you can, share those 
those stories and the back um, history behind how you came to where you're at. You know, I uh, what resonates with me is, you know, the, that the openness and vulnerability and, and so on. The, the there's an element of um, of I want to connect with somebody who who's mastered you know, who has a, a, a mastery of a skill set that I don't have. I can, you know, when, when I talk to somebody who's a super expert in their field, you know, be it marketing or some technology thing or, you know, whatever it is, when they talk about their craft, there's a level of deep understanding that comes from just you know, stick time. Like you've been in the seat, you've experienced this. And um, that I have a ton of respect for. Um, and being being open to, hey, I don't know all this stuff, but here's what I've learned. And, and being willing to share that is for me personally, just is, you know, really, really important. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, appreciate that as well. And you can see the passion and the energy that someone has for those things when they speak about it. And that's what really draw, draws me as well to people. Um, Russ, as we're kind of closing out here today, if there's a an entrepreneur out there, a serial entrepreneur that's you know creating a lot of new ideas and they got patents and they have new ones and they either have questions or want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Um. Uh, I have two websites. Uh, one is blueironip.com, B-L-U-E-I-R-O-N-I-P.com, blueironip.com. And the other one uh, is called ip.insure. And that's for the insurance-related products. But uh, I write uh, copious blog posts. Uh, I've been doing that for a long time. Um, feel free to reach out, you know, through either of those channels. If, if you want to copy my book, feel free to just shoot me your mailing address and I'll, I'll drop one in the mail to you. Um, happy to talk to any entrepreneur and listen to their story, especially if it involves patents and IP and so forth. Um, love to, you know, if I'm not the right person to help you, I'll, steer you to somebody who can so excellent well that's a very generous offer uh so we'll add those links to the show note and uh please reach out to russ he's on uh, linkedin as well uh, if you have questions uh check him out and russ i really appreciate you joining us today and sharing your insights on on patents and your industry and uh really look forward to uh seeing some more of your work in the future thank you thanks for having me enjoyed enjoyed the chat To show your support, take a moment to amplify this message by sharing it online. To connect with me or gain more business growth insights, visit www.growthamplifiers.com. Thank you for your support.